0: Imagine a world where getting an appointment at your family doctor would be as easy as ordering a pizza, or Uber. A healthcare system where waiting times wouldn't exist, where you wouldn't have to waste hours due to waiting in a crowded waiting room. Someday, we might live in a world like that. But for now, we have to deal with hours-long discharges from a hospital. Be prepared to wait, and see medical checkups and sitting in a waiting room as an opportunity to catch up with a book we really wanted to read but didn't find time to do that. I don't want you to get too depressed about healthcare. Innovation is booming and there are plenty of good practice cases around the world. This is what we're here to talk about. Dear listeners, welcome to Medicine Today on Digital Health. I am your host, Tjasa Zaitz, and I am here to talk about which things you can count on, where you should be optimistic, and where skeptical when it comes to new technologies in medicine and around health. I am a healthcare journalist of a Slovenian specialized magazine, Medicine Today, a monthly journal for doctors and pharmacists. We write about healthcare, issues doctors are faced with every day, latest developments in therapies, pharmaceuticals, and healthcare management. We are not interested in the hypes, but relevant and truly promising hopes in tech advancement in medicine, those based on evidence. We want to inform you about why some solutions take time before they are adopted. We want to help you understand healthcare. Our guest in this show is Tomasz Gornik, the CEO of an IT company, Marant. The company's main product in healthcare is an open health data platform. It enables an easier interoperability between healthcare institutions and providers of software. Now, this may sound a bit complicated, so let's explain it this way. Remember how if you go from Central Europe to the UK or US, you can't plug your charger in a socket because they're different. They are not compatible. This is how a lot of medical data looks like. Data from devices in a hospital or from sensors, trackers, your blood pressure monitor, for example, cannot be transferred to your medical record automatically unless they are in a proper format. This can be done if systems are interoperable or compatible. For a long time, it has been in the interest of some IT providers to have closed IT systems inside hospitals. That way, any time a hospital wanted a new program, new calculator or a new app, it had to order it at the IT vendor, the vendor designed it and charged for it. In an open system, you can be an outsider but still connect your solution to the system. And this is what Maren's platform enables. Hope this didn't sound too confusing. Please bear with me and mush in the first few minutes of the conversation, where things might sound a bit complicated. But it becomes really interesting afterwards. Did you know Russia has a special surveillance system that increases flow in the waiting rooms and reduces waiting times in primary care? Or that in order to redesign the IT system in the children's hospital in Slovenia, Marant had 500 meetings with top management of the hospital in the last few years. But that way... The Children's Hospital of the University Medical Center in Ljubljana became an almost paperless hospital. Now, let's dive into the conversation. By the way, if you will like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, recommend it and rate it. Spread the word. It's healthcare. We all want it to work better. Tomáš, welcome. Hi. I invited you here because you are present at many e-health and digital health conferences around the globe, but more importantly, you work with health institutions in different countries. Could you maybe just for starters explain a bit about what Marant does, uh, where are you present and what exactly do you do?
1: Our systems are uh, built so that many vendors can provide applications on top of our platform, which stores clinical data. Uh, And we work uh, globally. So uh, our largest customers are in uh, Moscow. The city of Moscow is running entirely on our platform. Uh, We have customers in Brazil, UK, Netherlands, um, and the Nordics, and of course, Slovenia.
0: Could you explain a bit more how does this work in Moscow, you mentioned before?
1: Yes, so... Moscow is a very uh, interesting case. Uh, The most important thing is that it's a very large system. So they're managing the primary care of 12 million citizens with 50,000 physicians uh, and about um, 500 what they call polyclinics, which is primary care centers. Now, the interesting thing there is that uh, they have a very centralized approach understanding that for them the most important thing is to have a centralized electronic health record for every citizen so that he can go visit the doctor in any one of these facilities and receive the same type of information and care. What is unique about them from what I have seen just recently visiting them is that they have a a control center which uh, basically oversees the waiting lists, uh, waiting times, and the utilization of uh, clinicians and appointments in real-time, uh, having the ability to add staff when they see a waiting lists or waiting times go up. And we are talking about things like guaranteed 48-hour first appointment for every citizen of Moscow.
0: So that sounds really hard to believe.
1: It is hard to believe, and if I wasn't there for the, the last three days watching how this system works, actually I wouldn't believe it myself.
0: So you're actually saying that if I come to the emergency room and there's 30 people in front of me, somebody will see through a camera that there's too many people in the room and... No,
1: the cameras are basically to check for uh, events that are irregular. So the systems will actually tell them that there's 30 people in the room. Now you mentioned emergency, that's not the best use case because that's usually handled by hospitals. So we're talking about primary care. But yes, if uh, somebody is waiting for more than 20 minutes from the time that he was scheduled, uh, there will be a a flag, a red uh, mark on the dashboard and somebody will take action.
0: Why is healthcare so slow in implementing like electronic health records? Why can't I have my medical data on my phone in an app?
1: Well, You mentioned banking and things like this, but what you have to realize is that data in banking is very simple, right? You have basically just numbers, whereas in healthcare, it's very complex. The second thing is that the relationship you have with your bank is very different from the relationship you have with your doctor. So in the bank, actually, you would prefer not to talk to somebody, you would prefer to do things electronically. In the patient-doctor relationship, it's actually the opposite. I mean, I'm not defending healthcare. Uh, I definitely think there is a lot of room for improvement, but you have to realize that the issues are very different. So uh, in the banking scenario, you could lose some money and uh, with information that is not correct, in the healthcare scenarios, you could actually lose your life. That said, uh, a recent uh, announcement by Kaiser Permanente, the largest health management organization in the U.S., that they actually do 50% of their primary care visits virtually uh, is a huge step forward. So it's obvious that there is a better way, that there is a way where I could contact the doctor uh, virtually. The issue is usually that these things are not um, paid equally, right? So there is not a big incentive for the healthcare system to do this because usually insurance companies either pay less or as is the case here in Slovenia, don't pay at all for virtual visits.
0: Okay, there's plenty of issues uh, around IT in healthcare. And there is a potential in optimizing access to, to doctors.
1: This is usually not even a healthcare issue. It's an organizational issue, right? And there's countries uh, that are actually doing a really good job at this. And, and uh, I'm sure you're familiar with what Estonia is doing.
0: Yeah, they have a, a whole national E strategy for all their services.
1: Absolutely. And it's it, again, it shows, you know, it's not that they did uh, healthcare uh, in a particular way. They did all of government and all of public services. So, uh, healthcare is no different. Where it gets complicated is where you want really a meaningful interaction with a physician. And in this case, I'll give you an example. So, Uh, At the pediatrics clinic, I was really excited coming from this conference and I was talking to them about, oh, we can make a portal for you so patients can interact with you through the portal, not having to call you on the phone. And the doctor stopped me right there and he says, look, when the mother of the child that is sick calls me, I need to hear her voice. I need to understand uh, how serious the situation is. I need to ask her to touch uh, the child to see where the pain is. You cannot do this uh, online. It's very, very difficult.
0: Mm -hmm. You mentioned the pediatric clinic and this is also one of the things I wanted to talk about. Let's go to the beginning of the story. When did you uh, start working with it and what state was it in? when you began.
1: Yes, so uh, the Pediatrics clinic was a public tender issued by the ministry uh, because it was also built, the new clinic was built through uh, funding from the ministry, so the IT system was part of that. So We won that tender and when we approached the Piatrix clinic, they basically had a very basic uh, system for um, billing and and, uh, patient administration. We had a deadline of about two years, a year and a half to finish the project. And of course, we thought we were um, capable of doing that. But then as we started discussions with uh, the physicians and the management of the hospital, we saw that the potential uh, to to really change things is much bigger because this is one of the cases where the management was really involved in making sure that this succeeds, which in healthcare a lot of times is not the case. So I'll give you an example. In the last five years since we've been working there, we have had over 500 meetings with the management, top management, chief clinical officer, uh, the, the business officers, uh, five, six key doctors. Every week or second week, we meet for two hours and discuss how we can make things better. IT is now uh, a big part of providing care. And it should be uh, at the same table where the main decisions are made. And in most health organizations, that's still not the case. Uh, To summarize uh, the pediatrics clinic, of course, we took much more time. I mean, we provided the first system in 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 the time required. But then we saw potential to actually digitize most all of the work in the hospital. Now, you mentioned paperless. We call it less paper because, of course, there's some things. There's documents that come in from the outside. There's some things... Which are still done on paper, unfortunately, and there are several good reasons uh, for this. Uh, One of them, and and the most difficult part probably, is what we call a chart uh, or a temperature chart in in Slovenia. The reason is that they have this paper of uh, of a format of A3, which is very difficult to put on a screen. And the difficult part is that you are not supposed to leave anything important out from a single glance of the doctor. So he gets this on the paper. Uh, usually the information is not as good as in the IT system. You cannot do trend analysis, things like this. But you can see the state of the patient with one glance. And it's very portable, it's paper. Mm-hmm. So the way uh, hospitals are solving this problem is either providing quite large uh, um, monitors or maybe even two monitors or carts which, which uh, follow the doctors when they're making rounds but definitely you have two problems you need to have it at the bedside and you need to have a screen big enough to provide all the relevant information at a single glance you do not want the doctor to scroll down because if he doesn't he will miss something
0: mhm but when it comes to 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 hospitals uh, and actually any system if the technology is usually not the problem the problem is how you change the organization and how you present the whole idea to the people how did you approach the implementation of your solution in the pediatric clinic how did you approach the doctors how did you how how much of the new equipment was bought because that's a really big issue yes. in older hospitals
1: So, you're right that technology is not the issue, but the problem, at least in Slovenia, is that the cost of technology is a big issue. So, I'll give you an example. Uh, We we introduced uh, electronic medication management. And the first problem was that we didn't have or they didn't have enough computers which means that the doctor would have to wait in line to prescribe a medication, which you know is not going to happen. He's going to go back to paper. Mm -hmm. So again, technology is not a problem, but the lack of equipment is a huge problem. So the way we work with doctors is is actually quite interesting because what we have found is that the right approach is in a hospital to find one department which is most uh, likely to accept the solution, make sure that this is running well, uh, and then bring the other departments to see. For instance, in the children's clinic, we chose the ICU department because the idea was that if the ICU department, which is the most complex one, is going to use the software, then all the other departments cannot say no. But so, so it has to be it, proven. How
0: was it accepted? Like throughout the, the the hospital, how much was there this excitement when you see some? You know, when you see your neighbor is doing something good, and you're like, I want to have that as well.
1: Well of course there's many different uh, uh scenarios but what you will also have to understand is that pediatricians are usually the best at accepting change. Why? It's because they work with a younger population, the parents of the children use mobile phones so and uh, my personal opinion is they're just nicer people, you know. It's because it's because they have to be to work with children. So I think you know, the, the in
0: in in Estonia, I just read a report about how uh, they managed to become so advanced in terms of uh, the e-health and e-strategy in general. And the deputy secretary general of e-services and innovation, I know, uh, so. yeah, yeah, he yeah. said that he attributes that to the fact that um, the mean age of ministers in the government was lower. So. That kind of surprised me because, I don't know, I would expect more wisdom from older uh, leaders.
1: No, no, no. I mean, Estonia is a special case of uh, how to do a transition from one uh, system to another. And and I think the big reason that they were successful is that when they uh, separated from the Soviet Union, their economy actually tanked uh, by two-thirds. So they had to rebuild And they were very smart in uh, putting a a salesman almost, I would say, uh, who also has something to do with medicine as the president of Estonia. And his first task was to put young people in the right places. And he did that. And it's it's very clear. If you speak to people like uh you're actually amazed at how capable these people are and they are running the system. So it's actually working out really well for them.
0: NHS, England, mm-hmm. is also another interesting case. I, yes. Healthcare in general has a problem with r- rising costs mm-hmm. and rising demand, so optimization is crucial mm-hmm. and value-based healthcare is on the rise.
1: We have engaged uh, with the NHS the last uh, three, four years, and we have, I would say, mixed experience. One of the things which you notice quickly uh, and, and read, read in, in, uh, in reports is that they are one of the most efficient health systems. They are kind of centrally funded and uh, their spending for outcomes, which is a measure of uh, efficiency, uh, is really high. They are at the top of the list, whereas countries like U.S. uh, is at the bottom of the list. But that's oversimplifying. So when you talk to people, actually, you will see they have a lot of issues with access, with quality. And now working with some of the hospitals, we can actually see that. It's a very bureaucratic system where it affects us and what we see the problem that they have is that it's really hard for innovation, innovative products and especially small and medium enterprise to engage with the NHS. And Why? it's, it's just, uh, I'll give you an example. So uh, we have had several customers, which we have convinced uh, into our medication management solution, which has been certified for use in the NHS. And it's taking us over a year and a half to come to contract. The last contract we got from a university hospital was 350 pages. Now, for a small company, there is no way I can sign a 350-page document because this means it has all the possible liabilities that can ruin my company. So we actually are going through a partner, a large partner in the UK, because they will take this risk. And again, this is something that um, SMEs uh, cannot do. They cannot wait for, for, for this. This slows down the whole process. And the the issue is that there is very little innovation coming into the NHS.
0: What does your medication system do?
1: When we approached the NHS and we had this platform, which I talked about briefly in the the beginning, to manage clinical data, they said, oh, this this concept is really nice because they're a public health system. So they understand the value of uh, having data in the same format because hospitals do not compete with each other. So what they said was, but we can't see anything. Do you have an application? And we said, well, which is the biggest problem the NHS hospitals are facing? And they said, inpatient medication management. And the statistic at that time, this was two and three years ago, was that 70% of UK hospitals do not have inpatient medication management. Now, if you think... Which
0: means that they don't... It's on paper, that it's on paper.
1: So if you think about this... In my opinion, you cannot even have a clinical system if you don't have medications in, you know, in electronic form. So it was really bad. And this is institutions like Imperial College. I'm not talking about some institutions uh, in the countryside. So we said, okay, we have a fantastic solution for this, uh, but you need to help us make sure it's uh, adapted to the NHS market. And they actually did. They sent us uh, a chief pharmacist uh, and and somebody who's been doing e-prescribing in the NHS for 20 years to Slovenia and he spent on and off uh, over six to eight months in Slovenia working with us to make sure the solution is uh, fit for purpose for the NHS. And then when we launched, we decided to open source it. We didn't want to compete with existing vendors. You need to buy our platform, but you can get the application for free. And we thought this was, you know, a fantastic deal for the NHS. It turns out. Everybody likes the idea. Everybody loves the product. But just the procurement of a solution, which is innovative, which unfortunately doesn't have a reference in the NHS, which is a problem, was next to impossible. So we're just now, after almost a year and a half on the market, signing the first contracts for something that people were willing to buy immediately, but they just couldn't do it. The procurement process is really, really bureaucratic.
0: Did you also manage to launch this system anywhere else, in any other country? Well, it's all,
1: of course, it's running in Slovenia, right? At the Institute of Oncology and the Pediatrics Clinic. We specifically targeted NHS because you must understand that, uh, for instance, the Nordics all have electronic uh, medication management. And what is also strange is that, for instance, Austria and Germany and Italy practi- uh, practically don't. But those are very difficult markets. Uh, so... Um, we, uh, we are now focusing on the NHS and, of course, we will be using the solution in Moscow as well.
0: It's interesting to see the differences in advancements in technologies in different countries around the world and in Europe because um, some countries are technologically very advanced, but then when it comes to healthcare, they really lack the, yes. uh, the, the progress. Where do you see the biggest problems and reasons for that?
1: Well, one is definitely spending, right? So uh, the Netherlands is pretty advanced, but they are known for spending up to 3% of revenue, hospital revenue on IT. Spain, uh, about uh, five years ago, also had a program where they were spending close to 3%. It's slowed down now. Now they're back to 1%. But Germany has been at 1% forever. And it shows. If you go into the children's uh, heart surgery in Munich... Their medications are on paper. They afterwards enter it all into SAP, but uh, you know, it's on paper. It's strange. Most of Austria, uh, the medication management is on paper. We went to Graz University Hospital, all on paper. So it's very different. I, I some I mean some would say it's uh, the German efficiency, you know. But I think they're way behind. They're actually behind. There's an interesting saying for medication management that where the physicians, uh, specifically doctors, are very powerful, uh, you don't have medication management, electronic uh, forms. So I'm not sure if it's true, but it seems uh, like uh, something that makes sense because Italy, Austria, Germany are known for very, very strong uh, doctors' uh, organizations and also the position of the doctor in the organization is much, much higher than in a normal business like in the Netherlands
0: could you talk a bit more about Brazil so yes why did you go to that market what do you do there
1: of course we target large countries uh, especially ones that do not have uh, very good systems uh, we call them greenfield and Brazil has been uh, looking at this idea of vendor neutral data for a very long time before most countries unfortunately it didn't come to tenders and products Uh, But now it's it's starting to. So we first were approached by uh, uh, one of the best hospitals in Brazil called Siri Libanes in uh, Sao Paulo, where they had an existing old system and they needed to build new applications and they were building them internally. And so that these applications could work together, they decided to base them on our platform. Now, uh, this is a very interesting project because it is the best or the second best hospital in Brazil. The other thing which we are actually after uh, is the national system. And they manage health uh, centrally in most uh, in most cases. Uh, there's a lot of private hospitals, but the primary care and a lot of the regions have uh, public health care. So they have an, a project which is now in tender phase where we are participating to do a pilot for the first 60 million patients to have a centralized EHR record. And we hope to win this one.
0: There's a lot of potential about gathering data in in healthcare. In theory, you could do a lot of research, you could see Mm -hmm. trends in public health, and that could help the ministry or the national health institutions know where to put their efforts next. But in practice, you need additional resources for analysis, and that's where things usually stop.
1: Yeah. It's very clear that the people with the most data will win, right, in terms of providing the solutions, because they will be able to base their algorithms on experience. There's many different use cases for this. You mentioned research. Uh, we are actually uh, about to start a project here with uh, with IBM Watson, which is using the data from the best cancer centers in the world to try to provide guidelines on treating cancer. It will be an interesting experiment because we don't know how the physicians will react. And this is more like a suggestion or second opinion or a helper tool to the decision process of the physician. It basically takes in all the research papers and processes them and gets the knowledge from there. But this particular case is actually, I call it, curated by people like Sloan Kettering, which is one of the best uh, cancer centers in the world, to provide uh, rules uh, that, based on the patient data, will actually give you a suggestion on what to do.
0: So why are you worried how the doctors at the Oncology Institute are going to accept it?
1: Well, I wouldn't say worried. It's just that uh, people see this uh, uh, differently. Some people uh, feel threatened. Some people uh, embrace the technology And again, this has nothing to do with healthcare. It's the same in all the fields. In knowledge work, our daily life is basically interrupted with uh, routine uh, operations, with routine stuff. Now, if this routine stuff is going to be handled by machines, all we will be left with is the knowledge work, which is going to become very intensive. And there are studies now being done how long the brain can actually function in full mode without these interruptions, which actually relax us.
0: Not so long ago, uh, I read one of the concerns of uh, one of the doctor about EHRs, electronic Mm -hmm. health records, and artificial intelligence and uh, data analysis done by computers. And she said that the issue she sees is that doctors today are being trained in a completely different way than than they used to be. With uh, relying on algorithms too much, you forget how to think. So, yes. when it comes to technology, you always have these two sides. You know, you never, you, you work with the best intent, but you never know what the unintended consequences will be.
1: Absolutely. Or you actually know what the consequence will be and you don't like what it's going to be. Because if you think about it, and everybody had this experience, uh, it's the same as using a navigation system, right? You use the navigation system, all of a sudden you're at your uh, end destination, like driving home, and you don't know how you really got there because it was automatic. So imagine if this happens in a hospital where where basically the IT system will become the navigation system for providing care. And now how much does the doctor, uh, you know, turn off his thinking relying on the computer Uh, We actually have this problem with nursing today. So uh, today in the ICU, the nurse doesn't have to physically write down the vital signs. She gets them from the machine. Now, when she was writing them down, she actually saw them Mm -hmm. and made sure she could react on them. But now when they come in automatically, she might not look at them. So, we have this system where she has to confirm that she has seen it, but this could also be a very automatic operation without actually looking at the data. So, these are realistic problems, but what you have to realize is that the systems that work in semi-automatic way will probably produce better results than today's medicine. So, there's no way to avoid them, but there will be cases where this will be very tricky.
0: Mm, There already have been. For example, um, providers of new solutions for quite a long time were convinced that, you know, if you have an alert for a doctor or a practitioner, that will help him not to miss something. But systems are now built in a way that there are so many messages that doctors just, you know, shut down from all of them, even though there is some warning, yes. it's more like something that protects the provider, but doesn't really help the doctor.
1: Yes. And, you know, it's clear it's called alert fatigue. And this is something that uh, needs to be improved a lot. And, and there's examples of this, you know, the airline industry, uh, uh, the aircraft industry has actually solved this problem uh, where they have the similar situation, a lot of alerts, but they make sure that only the important alerts get fired. And they make sure that uh, people take action when they are fired. The problem in healthcare is it's many, many uh, providers of equipment, very complex environment, uh, not totally, I wouldn't say predictable, but not totally. Uh, we haven't figured out all the details of what a certain data point means. So it's really hard to fire intelligent uh, alerts and not do something when not necessary. But I think one of the big problems is that, in the, uh, for instance, in the aircraft industry, it's mostly a company like Boeing, which makes sure that everything fits together. In healthcare, in the ICU, you have 10 different companies, and each one has to protect itself and fire the warning. Whereas if you put them together, like a high blood pressure, but you already know that he's on this medication, which actually should mean that the high blood pressure is normal, so do not fire the warning, That takes a lot of cooperation.
0: So how do you, as an IT provider, work with doctors in an everyday setting? So how many people work with doctors, observe where the issues lie? How much do doctors say this is not useful?
1: Well, our cooperation with uh, the Pediatrics Clinic and the Institute of Oncology is not a classical um, um, vendor-hospital relationship because... We are learning, uh, we are actually testing with them new ideas uh, and it's not, a, uh, it's not a proper commercial agreement. Okay, So uh, we take a lot of time, much more than, uh, than we get paid for because we are actually learning and improving our products. So what this means is that uh, we will go there, we will observe how they work uh, and we will spend a lot of time working on prototypes. And even then, we will see sometimes that a solution is very nice. It provides all the information you need, but it's not very usable. And the one thing which, again, coming back to banking is very different, is that if you have an employee in a bank, you can actually make him use an application. In the hospital, making a doctor use an application he does not want to use is very, very hard. So you have to make sure that the application is actually providing benefit to him and this usually means saving time uh, preventing errors but saving time is probably the one that is most difficult but if you make an intelligent system as time goes by for instance a discharge letter is a big big uh, uh, time item for the doctor it takes hours to write at, the, at uh, discharge and if you can basically pre uh, uh, pre uh, prepare the uh discharge letter from the existing data so that he doesn't spend those two three hours writing it you're saving him time
0: Mm -hmm. but uh, then you have the issue when doctor just uh puts together a discharge letter based on pre-existing um texts and data but he
1: does that anyway you know he has to have a summary at the end which is where his value is added but uh, he does exactly the same thing now, except he does it from different papers.
0: Well, what I wanted to say was that sometimes patients then feel they were not treated fairly if they see that the data is... No, again,
1: again uh, maybe I wasn't clear. It's not that the data is generated. It's just collected during your stay. So if I'm staying there for three months, I would actually want the data... Uh, entered at the time where in, where it occurred not at the end because it might be forgotten you know so it's actually summarizing the whole stay which is the purpose of the discharge letter
0: um in healthcare actually more in uh taking care of personal health um, a lot has happened let's say in the last 10 years especially with smartphones with wearables yes. and with all the devices However, their usability is limited. When it comes to apps, people just don't really want to use them after half a year. The number of healthcare apps is still on the rise. The last data I have is that there are currently around 260,000 apps in the healthcare store, which is 100,000 more than last year. However, if you look at the downloads the number is decreasing rapidly. How do you see the whole rise and buzz around all the solutions that are claiming that they will integrate in the existing healthcare systems?
1: Yes, first of all, patient engagement is probably one of the uh, big uh, opportunities for healthcare because it's quite clear that if the patient is engaged, the outcomes are much better. So the digital apps are probably the best form of patient engagement because they extend the healthcare services, uh, to the patient, to the home. Now that said, of course, like in any emerging market, there is a lot of activity, which, and not all of it is positive. And one of them is the proliferation of these apps. And there's now even studies that people, uh, who use uh, you know tracking devices like Fitbit have, don't have better results than the people who not and and so on. So there's a but this is a new market. It's it's very obvious. The best examples on how to manage this is what I've seen in uh, in Barcelona, for instance, because what they're doing is they are actually validating apps, mm-hmm. uh, suggesting what uh, uh, patients can use. Even we would call it prescribing apps. Mm-hmm. So they have a set of 50 apps developed by different vendors, which they have connected to their centralized EHR. So these apps have the data because this is the other missing piece. If you give me uh, an app that reminds me which medication I have to take after discharge and you do not give me those medications, I have to enter them manually. I'm not going to do that. But if at discharge, the IT system of the hospital pushes these medications into my app, then of course, it's a different story. So this integration is absolutely necessary. What is also necessary is the reverse. So the data that I enter into these apps should be available to my clinician. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a separate issue if the clinician wants this or not, but just technically enabling him to see what I'm doing at home will definitely improve care uh in the u k of course it's also a legal issue right uh if I as a doctor uh suggest to a patient to use a certain app and this app is not uh, uh, you know C- certified or not certified or actually could provide it could do damage to the patient then i'm legally bind bound to uh, uh i mean legally liable so there are several issues, and I think the way to solve this is actually for the healthcare system, the insurer or whoever certify these apps.
0: Yeah, and, and we can also already see this happening. All the disruptive innovations are slowly being regulated. Uh, so when Airbnb uh, came to the market or when Uber came to the market, they were really uh, disruptive. But now we can already see that legislations in some countries are trying to reduce its impact um sure. airbnb is uh, forbidden in a way in berlin new york is also thinking about prohibiting it and uh, in healthcare you have uh, solutions such as developing apps inside health institutions That's really uh, interesting to see in the the US where large uh, hospitals are building incubators and accelerators inside the hospitals because they have the best clinicians possible, which can ensure that the solutions designed are validated by peer-to-peer analysis. And, you know, that's really reliable. It's easy for doctors to believe that A solution is good if they have a a chance to test it and actually talk to the person that designed it. Do you ever get contacted by any of the doctors with the ideas about what they could design? Because doctors are quite entrepreneurial.
1: No, absolutely. I mean, there's actually examples of this uh, here in Slovenia. So we have doctors that have built registries uh, to manage uh, their patients. Uh, Not many that have built apps but definitely uh, internal applications that manage care a lot of them have been uh, built or designed uh, by doctors and i think that's actually fantastic the only thing is that uh, you know usually they don't have the it experti- expertise to build uh, proper systems so here is where we actually help with our platform
0: from a patient perspective, that's really good. Like it now seems that uh, healthcare institutions are picking up on these potential new revenues and are, of course. you know, developing stuff themselves.
1: And you know, this is uh, this is an interesting point because for them it's a business model. So, if you can sell digital goods, that's the highest level of profit because you can replicate them without additional cost. But they are doing it in two ways. First, they're franchising meaning they're giving their name and brand to other hospitals and getting revenue from that. Cleveland Clinic is one example. But they're also encapsulating the knowledge and their work processes into software, which means that they can share it, sell it worldwide and uh that's why, uh, and of course in a in an application like this, the content is is king, and they have the content, so it's a very good business model for them now, that said, it creates a lot of issues, like we have issues with pharmacist uh, pharmacy advertising and things like this, because it's not necessarily what is good for a Cleveland clinic is good for every patient right mm. so when money gets in the way, things happen so I wouldn't uh, believe that this is uh, all good, but uh, we will not be able to avoid it because as we mentioned before, the the one with the data wins and they do have this data.
0: Many applications or designers of applications are now trying to uh, get the data from the electronic health record system in the hospital, Mm -hmm. but not owning that data. An external application gets access to the data through a platform and you know the the data is still with the hospital or with the uh, health institution whereas the app just tries to yes. advise do you think that's a solution
1: yes of course and this is the low hanging fruit i would call it this is the simplest way of interacting between small companies and uh, and the hospital system but as you've mentioned before what will happen is the best ideas uh, will uh, will then become either the hospital will purchase this uh, vendor or app or they will build a competing app themselves so it's if a company can get uh, can monetize their solution and uh, you know, I know you're familiar with the example in Austria with my sugar uh, this was done as a patient management of diabetes app without any healthcare institution with a lot of people that had the knowledge but then they approached the insurance companies, the public insurance companies, and they proved that they can save the insurance company money. And the interesting thing, they just bypassed the healthcare system. They are now part of Roche. So pharma company bought them because the pharma company wants to control the whole chain, including the drugs and the uh, management of the disease.
0: Well, however, I mean, with small solutions that are targeting a very specific problem, the idea of a startup or a company is to be acquired by a bigger player. Yes, yes,
1: yes. But what I'm saying is it had nothing to do with the healthcare system, okay? Mm. Because we were talking about how startups work with healthcare institutions. And in this case, it was quite interesting because patient engagement, you know... Uh, doesn't necessarily mean uh, uh, healthcare institutions
0: in the healthcare system. Doctors usually don't have time to deal too much with a specific yes. patient, whereas in chronic diseases, uh, this is something that uh, yeah. is crucial for for of successful uh, and chronic, management.
1: Chronic diseases are sixty percent of the cost of any healthcare system, so it's or even more. Yeah, or even more. So it's a really big, uh, big, big piece of the pie, and I think. Healthcare systems will need to change to deal separately with uh, chronic diseases, which most don't at the moment.
0: Change is something that is a uh, difficult not to crack for any organization.
1: Especially healthcare, because in, in healthcare, uh, one of the big issues is you always have this two-headed management, right? You have the clinicians and you have the management and it depends on how powerful one or the other is. Uh, Those are the ones that run the institution. It's very rare that they can work hand in hand.
0: Well, um, I think it's time for us to wrap up. But uh, just before we say uh, goodbye, uh, I have two things I wanted to ask. One is, do you use any wearables or what would be ideal sensor that you think we will use in the future but may not be in the market yet
1: well there's two ways to answer this so in our company of course we use and try all kinds of wearables uh, but it's mostly to test and to see what value they can bring me personally I have a lot of them I couldn't say I use a lot of them but I do use a a heart rate monitor when I go uh, running Uh, I I do that but uh, that's about it
0: do you also analyze the data afterwards
1: um, or is it just... Not really, but sometimes I look at it. Uh, I, I don't analyze it, but of course, I'm interested in what was the peak, what was the average and things like this, but um, I wouldn't put them in Excel and try to analyze them.
0: And that's the big issue with all the apps that are trying to work on patient compliance, you know, even if you gather the data. Yes, but,
1: but you have to understand it's very different if you do have a serious chronic disease because then you are very motivated to use this stuff. So best use cases are where people have things that need constant management, like a diabetes, because those people, even though, uh, you know, we tried uh, working with people who had that, and it turns out that after they figure out how to manage their disease, they're actually not too interested in using an application. Mm -hmm. But in the beginning, and in some cases they need to anyway, but in the beginning, uh, it's very useful for them. Uh, it just has to be very simple to use, you know, uh, who's going to enter in calories for food. But if you take photos of the food and get the calories from that, you know, it's a lot of advances will come to this area where this will be in the background. You're not going to be actually, you you won't know that you're using it, but you will be using IT in the background.
0: Yeah, that's seamless use. Absolutely. In the background. You really like books, so um, I'm pretty sure our listeners will uh, be able to get an interesting recommendation about what to read when it comes to healthcare?
1: Yes, I would say um, three books uh, stick out in my mind uh, and they're very different in terms of the um, uh, effort necessary to read them. So the, the Bible for me is is the book by, by Clay Christensen, which is the innovator's prescription. It basically describes the healthcare systems, how they function and why they are why they have the problems that they have, and how to solve them. So that's a must-read for anybody seriously involved in healthcare or especially healthcare IT. The other book which really opened my eyes was uh, something called The Checklist Manifesto by Atul Gawande, who is a surgeon, because it talks about quality in healthcare and how we can learn from the experience of other industries. And it's a really short book to read, so I would recommend somebody that doesn't have much time (laughs) to read it And the third one, which is um, the one I brought uh, today, is called uh, Advanced Lean in Healthcare. And it's the story of Stanford Children's and how they're using IT and technology to improve care for for the children of the hospital. So it's those three that I think are worth reading.
0: Tomasz, thank you very much for talking to us. Thank you. Good luck with all the further projects.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to Medicine Today on Digital Health. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to the podcast in iTunes, rate it or write a review. Spread the word. And if you have any suggestions, you can send them to me on Twitter. You can find me under the name Z-A-J-C-T-J-A-S-A. Stay tuned.